This is Truth Encounter, and if you are discouraged and singing the blues today, if you feel that somehow God has forgotten you in the midst of hard times, then you have come to the right place. Psalm 44 in the Old Testament wrestles with these difficult questions that come up when we discover that we do not live in a simple universe where the good get blessed and the bad get cursed. How can we learn to face the major inconsistencies when the righteous suffer? It's hard to face the reality of life and recognize that there's some incredibly tough times, really sad songs. And there's people that ridicule us and they mock us and there's stories that are told. And I want you to see that Psalm 44 is talking about that. God's enemies, God's enemies are, are, are just sending, they're just mocking God's people. They're saying, man, who is Yahweh? He can't even take care of his people. We demolish them in battle. What I think of when I think of this taunting, have you ever seen a football team, and they try to outlaw this, but have you ever seen a big linebacker come in and just plaster a back, and the linebacker goes, ha, 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 like that. He's not really going like that. He's really, you know, saying some expletives that I can't say, right? They are not saying nice things sometimes. Now, there's some good sportsmanship. Sometimes they're reaching forth to pick you up. But, man, I remember playing college football where a guy at the bottom of the pile, he would stand up when the ref wasn't looking, and he would go, ha, 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 and he, and he just grind his cleat right in your back, right between your shoulder pad and your hip pad. And he'd go, ha, ha, wait till I get you the next time, Wurtson. That's what it's talking about. Now, I don't like that. And it makes me wonder, God, that happened to me in a Christian school, playing football in a Christian school. And I say, God, what in the world are you doing? And I want you to see God's word talks about that kind of feeling you have in your heart where people are scorning you and they're deriding you. It says, my disgrace in verse 15 is before me all day long and my face is covered with shame. At the taunts of those to reproach and revile me because of the enemy who is bent on revenge. This enemy is bent on destroying them. Now look at verse 17, because now is when they start to wrestle with. They're facing this tremendous defeat. Now they're going to wrestle with why has this happened. All this happened to us. Though we had forgotten you, and we had been false to your covenant, our hearts had turned back, and our feet had strayed from your path. That's why we can explain how you crushed us and you made us as a haunt of jackals, turned us into a wilderness and covered us with deep darkness. We forgot your name, O oh God. We spread out our hands in idolatry and worshipped a foreign God. Of course, God discovered it. And that explains because he knows the secrets of our heart and that's why we are facing death all the day long. And all God's people said, Anybody have any trouble with just what I read? What I just read makes a lot of sense. What I just read is the way that I would write this passage if, if I was not inspired. You see, that's the way we all think life ends up. You see, if you worship false gods, if you turn away from really praying to the real God, if you turn away from his word, if you disobey, then life all lines up and you're going to be defeated and you'll be destroyed. But... If you obey God and you love him and you serve him and you do all the right things, then life will turn out good. We all understand that. And a good part of life will line out like that. 
But there's an awful lot of life that doesn't. And that's what this psalm is so honest about. This, what they're saying is we could have understood God. All this happened to us and we did not forget you. We had not this time disobeyed your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back and our feet had not strayed from your path. But you crushed us and made us a haunt for jackals and covered us with deep darkness. If we had forgotten the name of our God and spread out our hands were a foreign God, in other words, if we had worshipped false gods, we would have understood that you would have discovered us and then, because you know the secrets of our heart, and then they say this, yet for your sake we are facing death all day long. We are considered as sheep for the slaughter. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul uses that verse in the context of you as the people of God. It's a famous chapter that you all know well. It's a chapter that the, the key section of it begins with these words, we know that all things work together for good to those that are called according to his purpose. And then it goes on and discusses what we've been talking about. The essence of the sad song of God's people is sometimes the scars that we face are not discipline scars. They are battle scars. I want you to understand that. Kidner has a great, great understanding in his commentary when he says, you know, sometimes the lashes that you experience in life are not disciplined lashes for punishment. They are battle scars. And what the Apostle Paul is coming to grips with in the book of Romans is that there's a great struggle going on. There is a great struggle going on in the world today between those that are going to serve the Lord and those that are going to love him and the chaotic, evil adversary. And in this struggle, it's very, very real. There are innocent victims. There are chaotic things that happen. There is tragedy. And it doesn't all add up right now. It doesn't go so much good in, so much blessing out. So much bad in, so much cursing out. Much of life is like that. But a good part of it is not like that at all. The Lord Jesus himself, the ultimate son of God, did battle with the enemy. He lived more than any other man. He lived the truth. There's never been a man who sat at a dinner table and told the truth like Jesus Christ. There was never a man who could have a woman come in that had a terrible past and spill perfume all over him. There was never a man that knew exactly how to react to that and just handled it beautifully and, and made it just a priceless artistic event. There was never a man who could go into false churches and, and lamb-based religious leaders that were just in it for the money. There was never a man that could throw coins and, and all the stealing that was going on in the temple and just throw it all away and cleanse the temple. There was never, never, never a man who lived the truth. You young people want truth. One of the things that all young people cry out for, I want the real thing. I want genuineness. I want the truth. And one of the things that drives them away is hypocrisy in the church. What I want to challenge you today, there's never been a man, there's never a person who lived the truth better than Jesus Christ. But what happened to him? You see, that's what this psalm is about. This psalm is about the fact that we live in an evil world and evil, murderous, violent men took the Son of God and they butchered him. They mocked him. They scorned him. They beat him up, they slapped him, they pierced him, 
And they all laughed. And you know what real Christianity says? Real Christianity says we're going to start impacting our world when we're willing. We don't just say, I want to be punished. That's not the idea. But real Christianity is about following our Savior into that kind of conflict. You stand against wrong in your school, you're going to get mocked for it. I guarantee you. If you go public for Jesus Christ in your office, you could lose your job. If you're a lawyer or a judge and you say, no, we're not just going to bargain, we're not just going to go for the best alternative, we're going to do what's right. We've really got to do what's ethically right. You'll probably never get anywhere in law. That's just the way it is. But what the world desperately needs is some men like Daniel and like ultimately the Son of God that just live the truth no matter what it might take. Because that's what changes the world. Because nobody impacted the world more than Jesus Christ. And this psalmist saying is you can suffer incredible pain And it might look like God has totally abandoned you, but he has not. Because he hasn't written the final chapter yet. The psalm goes on and closes like this. Awake, O Lord, why do you sleep? Do you ever feel like God's sleeping on you? How would it change? Or can you imagine if we could gather together and somebody could stand up and say, you know, I feel like God fell asleep on me this week. How many times do we have a sharing time where someone stands up and says, I want you guys to pray that God would wake up. Because I feel he's been sleeping all week long. I've been talking to him all week long, and man, I've gotten nothing. And I'm discouraged about it. I think God just fallen asleep. Maybe, maybe we need to wake him up. That's not good theology, but when it's raw emotion and honest emotion, that's the way Israel prayed. You've got people that start to really move in a relationship with God when they're honest like that. They say, awake, O Lord, rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust, our bodies cling to the ground. All of life is a decision, and it's the decision that I started out with. You're going to have to decide as you grow older, and this really touches my heart very deeply because I've been wrestling with Kim, and Kim, you've turned 40 now, haven't you? He wishes that he hadn't. But Kim has been wrestling with me the last several years about the midlife crisis and whether or not he was in it or not and wrestling with some of the depression of that. And I remember about six years ago in the ministry wrestling and counseling with a man that was in, quote, quote, the midlife crisis. And I couldn't figure out why he was so uptight about his physical prowess degenerating. I couldn't figure out why he was so worried about about death. I couldn't figure out why the guy was becoming a hypochondriac, thinking every little ache and pain and every little twinge in his chest needed to be checked out. And I remember shaking my head saying, you know, man, what's wrong with you? You know, there's a good chance you're not any closer to death now than you were, you know. Anybody dies. I bury young, old alike. I won't say that anymore. Because one of the things that I know right now in my life, I've got to wrestle with, does it all end in a funeral? Because that's what this song is about. And every one of you need to decide that. Nietzsche said, I can summarize all of Nietzsche's philosophy with this. It's all about power. And it's all about things. And it all ends in the nothingness of the grave. And that's what your modern world wants to tell you.
The modern world cries out. It says to the kids, you live for playing in the Panther band. And you live for playing in the Panther football team. And you live to be the homecoming queen. And you live to have your senior parties and everything. And then you go to college and maybe you'll have a few more parties. And then you'll find, hopefully, that person that will ride into your life and be your dreams, and you'll make love, and you'll generate kids, and those kids will break your heart to smithereens because they'll spend all of your money, and by the time they spend all of your money, it'll run out just when you need a few more coins to live a few more hours in a rest home where you don't even know who you are. I sound a little bit like Billy Crystal. But that's all the world can promise you. Now, this is very, very serious. You all need to think about it because that belief will suck the life out of you and it is sucking the life out of some of you. It'll cause you kids to try to annihilate it and get drunk as a skunk. It'll cause some of you adults to do the same thing. Why do kids take drugs? Why do adults take drugs? And by the way, you know why the kids take drugs? Because moms and dads are involved in that kind of stuff. The dominant reason, you moms and dads hold the dominant thing on what all of our kids do. Not always. Everybody makes individual choices. But I guarantee you, what we need to do is we need to deal with the truth in our lives. And the reason that we run off to have a good time, the reason we plaster ourselves in all these different areas of life, is because there's a numbness inside. And it hurts. Because we realize it could all end just like that. And that thought makes me want to just, just do nothing. It makes me want to turn on the TV. That's what a lot of you are doing. You just turn on the TV. You know why you turn on the TV hour after hour? Because it numbs everything. The dominant thing that a TV does, it's not the bad art that's on TV. There's a lot of bad art on TV. And the news are just sound bites. But the reason that most of us have to have the TV on constantly is it helps you forget a little bit the gnawing in your soul. Now Psalm 44 ends with some incredible words. It says this, Rise up and help us, redeem us because of your unfailing love. We're not going to be able to look at very much of this, but I want you to turn to the Song of Solomon. I want to do something I hardly ever do on Sunday morning, but I want to look at Song of Solomon. Remember I said that we need to sing sad songs? I want you to feel free when you gather together on a Sunday morning. I want you to feel free to sing sad songs. One of the things we need to learn to do together is to be able to be a place where we can sing in the minor key and we can talk about the struggles of life. But you know, that's not all of life. When Mary's younger brother was killed by a drunk driver, mom and dad's son, and the event of this past week brought all of that back in just vivid, vivid color for us, for all of us. I said to Mary's aunt, a doctor's wife from Indianapolis, I said, you know, I said, Aunt Betty, this is life. And she looked at me right in the eye and she said, yes, it is. And then she added this, but not all of life. And what I want to say is this. I want you to look at Song of Songs. How many of you have ever read this? I want you to see it starts out, what is the title of this book? The Song of... You know what that means in Hebrew? The plural means not that this is the song of many songs. In other words, we're going to sing many songs. You know what, what Solomon titled this book? He says, this is the ultimate song. 
And it really hit me like a, just like a great, great surge of light that brings comfort. You know what Solomon is saying? This sad song of Psalm 44 is not the ultimate song. It's a real song. It's a truthful song. It's one of the songs we need to sing, but it's not the last song. As I grow older, it's easy for me to begin to think of the song of sadness, the sad country tunes, the minor key chords, that's life. And it pulls you down, and it makes you get depressed, and it makes you not want to do anything, and it makes you wonder if life has any meaning at all. We close today, and Solomon says, I want you to sing not only songs of sadness, but I want you to get together as the people of God, and I want you to sing songs of love. And the writer starts out like this, Solomon's ultimate song, let me kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. And Solomon talks about the beauty of falling in love. When I did the wedding a week ago, I look around at the adults, and there's some ladies there that have just spent hour after hour after hour getting the dresses just right. There were some girls, when I did a wedding last Saturday, right over here there were some girls here, and as I went through that ceremony, the girls were just crying their eyes out. Now, they're not crying, oh no, this is horrible. They're crying, man, boy, I can... What an unbelievable thing, and it's just so touching and everything like this. And everyone's, and then when you, at the end of the thing, and I now pronounce, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to present to you, and the bridegroom and his new bride leave, and everybody applauds and everything. Why do we do all that? Because for a moment in time, we all get caught up in, we tease them. We realize that in just a few minutes, they're going to be all by themselves, and they're going to be doing unmentionables on a Sunday morning. And that's all underneath the surface. I want to tell you something. You know who created all that? Got news for you. It was not the serpent in the Garden of Eden that created all that. It was the ultimate Father in heaven. And he writes right in his word, life is not just a sad song. As young people, you need to fall in love. As adults, you need to fall in love. You need to not sing sad songs. You also need to sing love songs. And God in his word says songs like this, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for his love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like the perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. You see, sexual love is about about sweet kisses and it's about beautiful smells. It's all about French perfumes. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. It's the hunger to be able to be alone, to be able to be all encompassed in one another's love. The friends of the court say, we rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. How right they are to adore you, the beloved response. And then the girl responds, dark am I yet lovely. She was tanned before all the tanning took place in California. It says, dark am I yet lovely, O daughter of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tents curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards, my own vineyard I have neglected. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. 
Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? If you do not know, most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. I liken you, my darling, the lover responds, I liken you, my darling, to a mare harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make your earrings of gold studded with silver. While the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My lovers to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. My lovers to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyard of Gedi. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are like doves. How handsome you are, my lover. Oh, how charming. And our bed is burdened. The beams of our house are cedars and our rafters are firs. That is dynamic imagery. In the, in the language of the ancient Near East, it's the language of love. He uses all the eroticism of a husband that is captivated by the love of a woman that he compares her to like how he feels when a whole battalion of Egyptian horses are marching forth and how it just grabs his attention. It's got all the eroticism of beautiful smells and a, of an enchanted evening an enchanted wedding celebration that ultimately ends in making love forever and ever and ever. Brothers and sisters, I want you to realize that God uses the Song of Solomon as the ultimate imagery that says, one day we're going to go to a wedding feast, not to a funeral. You see, the story of the Bible is that the Lord's going to comfort us in the sad songs. But you know how he really comforts us in the sad songs? He cries with us, and Jesus weeps with us, and Jesus enters into the agony and the pain of all of that. But you know what? If he hugs us to himself, he says, I want to tell you something, my child. I also am the creator of sexual love and marriage, and all the excitement and all the thrill that a marriage ceremony brings and what it leads to. And how it generates kids and it generates families. And that's part of reality as well. And then God gives us this ultimate word of hope. He says the song of songs is not the sad song you sing at a funeral. It's the song of celebration that you sing at a wedding. Because one day all of history is going to forget death forever. And those that have come to know the Son of God, those that have come to know the ultimate bridegroom who gave his life in death for us to drown out the sad song and to take away its pain and its sting. And then he rose again. You see, in Jesus Christ, this ultimate drama between the sad song and the marriage song has already been enacted. Good Friday is the sad song of Psalm 44. And it closes with a cry, Oh God, redeem us. Oh God, deliver us. And it ends with a joyous shout, He is not here. He is risen.